Welcome here, everybody. Thanks for coming back and joining us in our series we're doing on the book of Joshua. And this is actually the final message on the book of Joshua. We're calling this one, Who Will You Serve? And it's taken from Joshua chapter 24. Now, I will say that it's important, if you want to understand the context of what we're talking about today, that you would go sort of backwards a little bit and check out the other sermons that we have on this topic. And I have to say, uh, without even realizing it, last week's message was very timely for the day and age that we live in, in terms of the whole idea of it's not what it looks like, and sort of giving the benefit of the doubt to each other as we walk forward. But for today's message, we're going to be looking at the topic of um, who do you serve? So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 24, I'm going to read verses 14 and 15. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. If you don't know where the book of Joshua is in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People worked really hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. Joshua 24, verse 14 and 15. Here's what it says. Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord this sorry, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in the land in which you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together here. I pray, Jesus, that as we are looking into your word and as we are evaluating and, and kind of figuring things out in terms of who we are and, and, Lord, understanding more about who the Israelites were, I pray, Jesus, that we will have eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that are open to what you have for us today. In your name I pray. Amen. So let's play a little catch-up. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, where people are in the story right now. Uh, Israel is in a time of great excitement. They are kind of finished conquering the land of Canaan. There's all kinds of celebrations that have been taking place. Uh, their enemies have been defeated. They're in this promised land. Each tribe has received its inheritance in terms of their land that they were to receive moving forward. And it was a time of hope and prosperity and blessing which is really, really cool because all throughout the story uh, of the Israelites leading up to now, it just seemed like it was nothing but conflict after conflict for them. And now they're finally in a place where they're able to receive blessing. They're able to kind of kick back, relax a little bit. And, uh, and that's really important to understand in terms of the life of Israel. But I will have to acknowledge that in those times of blessing and prosperity and calmness, there's a danger that can potentially emerge. And I believe that's what Joshua is speaking to in this passage. So it's a dangerous time because uh, the danger that they might forget all that God has done for them, where they had come from, what had happened in their history, what the Lord had done for them. There's a danger that they would become an idolatrous people. You know, that they would start following after the religion and the gods of the Canaanites and the Amorites. Um, and, and then there was also the danger that they would fall into this state of complacency. You know, the state where they might feel like, well, they could just let their guards down and just live. Hmm. I don't think actually that's that different than us, right? We live in a land where we have a lot of freedoms. We live in a land where, you know, our, our voices matter and, and, and we get impassioned about all kinds of things. 
And I think sometimes in our faith, we, we have a tendency or potential to get complacent and, and to just kind of live. Well, today's message is really going to challenge that. I, I truly believe that a divided heart is a broken heart. And I think that's actually one of the key things that comes out of this story for us, that a divided heart is a broken heart. And here's what I mean. When we're having this call by Joshua to come back to the Lord, the indication there is that you can have the Lord or you can have uh, the gods of this world. And at that time, it was the gods of the Amorites and the gods of Canaan, and certainly talking about the gods that their ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates, right? Um, and so it's like this these pendulum or, or these two lanes that a person could be in. And there wasn't a middle lane. I mean, Joshua was really explaining the idea, like, look, you can either have God or you can have the world, but you can't have both. And, and I find that interesting because I do believe that that is that image of the divided heart being a broken heart. And, you know, like if we're, if we're divided, then we're never going to feel as though we have a sense of direction and, and, and purpose and, and confidence and security. But when we're wholeheartedly in one direction, we know, whichever direction that is, that we're walking away from something and towards something else. And in that something else, Joshua is suggesting that we need to remember where we've come from, what the Lord has done in our lives, so that we move in His direction. Now, I will say that in the midst of this situation, Joshua stands up and he delivers a challenge to the people from the Lord. God wants them to dedicate themselves to Him and to His work. He doesn't want them to live. Um, he doesn't want them trying to live for Him on one hand and the gods of the land and on the other hand. And I would suggest you that's kind of the same for us. And I don't know if you remember, and if you've been following in this series, we talked about a guy by the name of Caleb and how he was wholeheartedly following the Lord. And that notion, that language of wholeheartedly is to uh, diminish the gap between us and the Lord. And I think, well, actually I know in this passage that that's kind of the rallying cry here, to diminish that gap between us and the Lord, to wholeheartedly be dedicated to him, and, and the language here is that, look, you gotta be wholeheartedly dedicated to me, the Lord, or not at all. There's no middle ground. And I think that's important because we are people who, a lot of us like black and white, a lot of us like the gray, but when it comes to dealing with our relationship with the Lord, he actually doesn't leave any room for gray. You're either with me or against me. Jesus makes that comment as well. And so it's clear in this passage that that is what Joshua is calling people to. Now, here's the neat thing. If we get this, if we understand this, then we're not likely going to have a divided heart anymore. And when you don't have a divided heart, then we're going to be able to better define things like our position with the Lord. And so our position with the Lord is taken from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Here's what it says. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So positionally, you're saved. And I will tell you that a divided heart doubts their salvation. I've come across that time and time again. So if you're in a space of life right now, that you are doubting whether or not you are saved, then I want you to know that it's highly likely that you've got a divided heart right now, and that part of you desires the Lord and part of you desires the things in the world that take priority over the Lord. Get a pick. 
My hope and prayer for you is that you're going to choose the Lord and have Him be the ultimate priority in your life. And when you do so, positionally, you will be more secure because you will know that you are, in fact, saved. And it's a gift of God, not any works that you have done. Secondly, not only can you know better define yourself positionally, you're going to have a better sense of purpose. Here's what I mean. Um, as believers, we're to be doing the work of God. And the work of God really is the ministry of reconciliation. Paul talks about it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the language we have. This is what we're called into. And immediately right before that, Paul talks about having the ministry of reconciliation. And then we have this quote of what that then looked like from Paul to the Corinthian church and saying, listen, just be reconciled to God. You're going to understand your purpose better. And your purpose is to help people become reconciled to God in terms of our Christian purpose. And, and certainly there are other things that come along in that. But if you're wanting like this laser focus, then have that laser focus be I'm going to help people come to know Jesus. I'm going to help people grow in their knowledge of Jesus and grow in their relationship with Jesus and be more like Jesus. And we're going to move in that direction of helping people become reconciled to God. And then thirdly, I want to suggest to you that you'll be better able to define our passions in life. A lot of us are passionate about a lot of different things. Um, but we're to be passionate about the Lord's work. And, and so this closely is connected, obviously, to... Uh, our purpose, but the passion, it, it it has a flavor about it that comes out a little differently. Here's what I mean. And and this is a language that gets used uh, a few times in the scriptures in terms of what our life is to look like and how we're to engage things in life. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do, so whatever it is that you're doing, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So our passion then becomes the, that we are doing whatever it is that we're doing in the name of the Lord, that we're giving glory to Him. That's our passion. Our passion is that we want to give glory to God in everything we say and in everything that we do. That's what we do. We give glory to God. Now, I will tell you that when you live this way and you have this security, uh, life just becomes a little simpler and, quite honestly, a lot more exciting. So as we walk forward into this passage, this is some of the stuff that Joshua is calling people into. It's a greater dedication to the Lord. It is a dividing of things, saying you're either with the Lord or you're with the world, you could say. And so he's really trying to help them understand that that divided heart is a broken heart. So the first thing he does is he calls all these people together. And, uh, and he starts to cause them to remember their history, remember their past. This is verses 1 through 13. And so he begins his remarks by telling them that, hey, you got to remember what the Lord has done. He wants them to remember who they are, where they came from, what the Lord has done in their lives. And honestly, it would be good for us to think along those same lines as well. Verses 1 through 12, he illustrates God's power in their lives. They're reminded of God's choice and call of Israel. He redeemed them and delivered them from Egypt, it tells us. Uh, you know, he, he, it says here, even in verse 7, But they cried out to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians." 
And then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. He manifested his power and his glory in in front of them. They're reminded of the victories and the blessings that they now have because of God's power in their lives. And, And so we need to remember all that the Lord has done for us as well, I'd say. We need to remember where he found us. Like, what was your starting place with God? Their starting place with God is that they were a people uh, that became a chosen people through Abraham. And actually, as a matter of fact, like this just walks it forward. And, and he talks about uh, Abraham and his, his family. He talk about uh, Jacob and, or sorry, Isaac and then Jacob and Esau. And, and, and talks about their slavery in, in Egypt and how Israel gets called out of Egypt and God stands against Pharaoh. And he's just time and time again, he's illustrating these are the things that the Lord has done in your life. He took you from where you were to now where you are. What did he do for you? What did he bring you from? What security has he brought into your life? How has he blessed you in life? How has he worked on your behalf time and time again? How has he answered prayers for you? How has he disciplined you as a loving father disciplines? Remember his power in your life. This is something that Joshua is calling Israel to. Now, not only is he calling them to remember God's power in their lives. He's also asking them to remember God's presence in their lives. And this is also taken out of verses 1 through 12. Israel's reminded that God has always been with them. And everything they faced, He was there to help them and see it through. As a matter of fact, He goes on and He talks about when Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, He sent Balaam. Now, I don't know if you remember who Balaam is, but Balaam is a guy who tried to deceive Israel. He wanted to even just placed this big curse on Israel, and he couldn't. The Lord would not receive the curse. And instead, Balaam ended up giving blessings. God stood in the way of people attempting to do bad things to Israel. And, and so this is, again, just the idea that God's presence was there with them. And they need to remember, they needed to remember that, that God was with them the whole way along. And, and if you read verses 1 through 12, it's got this picture of this orchestrating of God that he was intrinsically involved in everything that was taking place. His presence was known. It was experienced. We need to remember that since the day we were saved by grace, God has never left us and nor has he forsaken us. As a matter of fact, he, he tells us that in Hebrews 13.5 and Matthew 28.20, that, that he is going to be present with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. And we need to remember this. We need to remember the truth from his word. And we need to go back to this idea of not only do we need to remember the power that he has in our lives, like right? the power to save, for example. We need to remember his presence in our lives. And along with that, Joshua in verse 13 calls them to remember God's provision in their lives. And in this one, this is a really interesting one because he goes on and he starts to tell them things. Well, I'll just read it to you. Verse 13, it says this. So I gave you a land in which you did not toil, cities in which you did not build, and you live in them and eat from their vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And so God offers provision to them. They're reminded of how they enjoy these blessings that they don't deserve. And, and, and I think that it's important for us to recognize that we got a lot of stuff going on in our own lives that we probably just don't deserve. A lot of great things. They are clearly partakers of grace. 
And clearly God has done something here. And he states time and time again that they were unable to take the land of Canaan apart from him. And so if we understand that, then, then really what they walk forward into is this idea that they have a God who is powerful, who is present, who offers provision. And so do we. He's the same God. He's powerful, he's present, and he offers provision. And so they are clearly partakers of grace and have more than they could have ever imagined. And we need to remember the fact that, that we have a lot that we just simply don't deserve. We're saved and we're secure, headed to a home in heaven. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and live in that presence all the time. All the time. That we're actually told that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and a temple in, in this language is the idea that we're the dwelling place of Him. And so the Holy Spirit dwells within us. He's with us all the time. And we have more than anyone can understand or imagine. God has truly been good to us. And it's not without struggle. I mean, you know, we have to acknowledge that Israel still had their struggles. They, they had difficulties along the way. But God's power, God's presence, and God's provision ultimately seem to be true. And so God has been good to us in our lives. And I think it's important that we remember these things. So, so Joshua calls them to a time of remembering. And after reminding them of God's uh, power, of God's presence, of God's provision, he then calls them into a place uh, where not only just looking in the past, but now he's calling them to look into the present, and he calls them to a decision. There's a, a, a choice that you could say they have to make, and that's verses 14 and 15 that we read earlier, but I'll read it again for us. It says, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness, Throw away the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served before beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in the land in which you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua reminds the Israelites to serve the Lord and to avoid the pagan gods of their ancestors. Uh, that their ancestors worship. And he tells them also to avoid the gods that are present in the land that they currently are in. And so he tells them that if they don't wish to worship the Lord, they can revert back to all these other things. There's a but though. And that but is, is that you have to choose God or choose not God. And by walking away from the Lord in this scenario that they're talking about, uh, they're walking back into hardship, and we know that the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. And so they can revert back to worshiping the pagan gods and the, of the Amorites and their ancestors, but Joshua claims that his household, as the leader of Israel, his household, they're going to serve the Lord. And I think that's an important lesson even for those of us who are leaders. You know, for me as a pastor, I can say that um, there are a lot of things that I, I'm tempted to make a priority in my life. But I'll tell you right now that the key thing that I need to make a priority in my life is my relationship with the Lord. Like I need to serve the Lord more than I need to serve me, more than I need to serve my preferences, more than I need to serve my desires. I need to serve the Lord. And what happens then is, is that attitude that I have and that direction that I have, it becomes a filter by which I look at all the other things. So because I love Jesus, I'm going to do this. Because I love Jesus, I'm going to view things through this lens. And that's how I need to serve the Lord. 
And, and so Joshua in verse 14 commands the people with a threefold command. They were to fear God, they were to clean up their lives by putting away false idols, and they were to serve the Lord. And this would put them all in a position to put God back in the forefront of their minds and in their hearts. Remember, a divided heart is a broken heart. And so Joshua is kind of giving them the metrics to say, hey, listen, this is how you know that you're no longer a divided heart. The first thing is that you are going to fear God. The second thing is that you're going to put away other gods. And the third thing is that you're going to serve the Lord with sincerity. So to fear God, this is where we revere Him, we honor Him, we respect Him, we serve Him. We Well, I mean, that comes later, but He deserves to be respected and loved by those He has redeemed. And this is the idea of priority in life as well, right? Like, so if God is truly ultimate as we claim him to be within the Christian faith, then that needs to reflect itself within our lives. And so we, God has to be ultimate in our opinions. God has to be ultimate in our attitudes. God has to be ultimate in our actions. And all of those things, we need to revere the Lord. We do what we do out of reverence for the Lord. Secondly, we put away other gods. Now, all those things in our lives that come ahead of the Lord need to be put away forever. This is what Joshua is calling the people into. He says, listen, all those gods that your ancestors worshipped and the gods of the lands right now, those can't be present in your life anymore. So ask yourself that question. What, what are the gods in your life right now that need to be put away so that the Lord is primary? And then thirdly, we need to serve the Lord with sincerity. And the word serve here is actually the idea to fulfill the role of a slave. That we are His possessions and we should live as such. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, the idea that we are the body, uh, so our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we're bought with a price, we are not our own. We're owned. And not in a negative pejorative sense, but in the sense that, that we were bought, we were paid for at a great, great price. And in doing so, in that happening, we now serve and live for the Lord. And so Joshua, in the middle of all of this, says, okay, verse 15, you now have a decision that you need to make. He gives them the criteria. He says, listen, you got to revere the Lord. You got to make him number one, fear the Lord. The second thing he says is you got to get rid of all these other gods. And the third thing is that you got to serve the Lord with sincerity and, and faithfully. Those are the metrics. That's how we know that God is number one, that we fear him, there's no other gods, and we serve him. That's what we do. And if any of those pieces are missing, what you need to know is that we need to align ourselves back into that because if we don't, we've got a divided heart. There's always going to be something that's going to try and pull us in a different direction. So let's get our direction going right by having our attention in the right place, right? Because whatever has your attention has your direction. So they're confronted with a choice in verse 15. And, Jesus, and Joshua says to them, he says, listen, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so he gives them this challenge, right? The people have to choose who they're going to serve, and then they got to get about doing it. That's what happens. And I actually believe that the same choice stands in front of us. It's like at any given point in life when we have all these other decisions that we could be making and all these other choices to make, uh, there's a precipice that we come to that we need to make a decision about. Um, you know, it's, you know, people use the language of a fence, right? You like to ride the fence and 
you should get off the fence and be on one side or the other. It's the notion of lukewarm, all that kind of stuff. And what I can honestly say to you is that, look, life is complicated when you ride a fence. Um, as a person who grew up as a non-believer, I could tell you that to some extent, there's an insecurity and a about living life apart from God. Um, that's difficult for a non-believer to really put into words, but there's a sense of insecurity, which means we pursue things to try and cause us to feel secure uh, in a variety of ways. And, and they're not ill-intended, but we pursue things to make us feel secure. And, and it always leaves us wanting. And then there's this idea of what it means to be on the side of the fence that is on God's side of the fence, where I don't have to pursue things other than pursuing the Lord. And in pursuing the Lord, I get all the things that I was looking for anyway. This choice that we have to get off of the fence is an important choice. And this is the choice that Joshua is offering the people of Israel. Look, if the Lord's God, then serve Him. And if that doesn't seem reasonable to you, then go somewhere else. But I'm serving Him. That's what he says here. And, and the people in Elijah's day were confronted with something similar on Mount Carmel. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. If you want to read a really cool story, go there. Um, but it's this idea that, that uh, it's the same decision. Choose God or choose this, but you got to choose because you can't have it both ways. You can't ride that fence. You can't be in the middle. You can't have a divided heart because a divided heart is a broken heart. You can't have both God and the world. You cannot have Him and distractions. And so God is in first place or you just have a different God. You see, because our God, the God of the Scriptures, the God of the Old and New Testament, He doesn't play second fiddle to anything. He wants it all. He wants wholehearted devotion, like closing the gap between us. He wants to be primary, and He will not settle for anything less. So God is in first place, or you just have a different God. So which God do you have? And then he tells them that there's this future and, uh, or gets them to look into the future, which is getting them to kind of renew their covenant relationship with him. In verse 16 uh, to 28, he makes a covenant with Israel at Shechem. He writes words in this holy book and, and he sets up the stone near this oak tree that's by the, the, the temple and the sanctuary. And he tells the Israelites that the stone would be a witness to the covenant. It would be this reminder to the covenant and he sends all the Israelites home. And so in verse 16 to 18, you have the resolve of the people. And it's really interesting as you read it, because in verse 16 to 18, the people actually say, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. And there's almost this incredulous thing. It's like, how could you even say this to us, Joshua? How could you even ask of this? Well, of course we're going to serve the Lord. And so the question I have for us today is, does he have to compete for our time? Does he have to compete for our attention? Does he have to compete for our money and for our love? And if he does, then what does that say about our profession of faith in him? If God is ultimate, if God is primary, then that should reflect itself in all arenas of our lives. The second thing that we find in verses 19 to 20 is that there is this reminder to the people. Verse 19 to 20, uh, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is, sorry, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive you 
forgive the rebellion of your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after He has been good to you. So there is this reminder that He offers, and it goes forward and says, But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And so he takes the opportunity to remind them that that God is holy and righteous. And if they serve Him, He will bless them. But if they renege on their commitment to Him, on their service of Him, well, then there's going to be a pretty high price to pay. God's people need to remember that while God is love and He's grace and He's merciful, He's also just, and and He's still holy. And and this is a concept that that we struggle with, but we need to understand that God will not tolerate sin in the lives of His people. Why? Because He wants us to be like Him. Jesus says, be holy as your Father is holy, right? Like So this whole idea of saying we're a follower of Him and thinking He's going to tolerate sin in our lives is just it is something foreign to the Scriptures. God wants our hearts to be undivided, to be fully committed to Him. And where there is sin in our lives, He's going to work that out of our lives so that it's not present anymore. It's a beautiful image, really, if you think about it. And then you have the reaction of the people in verses 24 to 28. Here's what it says. Here's what we find about how they respond to Him. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey Him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in a book of the law. And then he took a large stone, set it up under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words of the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. And then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. And so the people responded, by setting out the business of serving the Lord. They, they and Joshua set up a memorial, a, a record, if you would, about the decision. And there was a record of their decision, and it would be used to hold them accountable. And so it's a reminder. It's, this, it's interesting because the, the use of these memorial stones is riddled all throughout the Scripture. And so this stone is placed, and that stone, every time you see it, you're reminded of your commitment to the Lord. Every time you see that stone, you're reminded of that covenant relationship that the Lord is God, and we serve Him, not the gods of our ancestors and not the gods of the land. We serve the Lord. Question for you. What is the memorial stone idea in your life? What do you have as a reminder that you serve Him and not the gods of our ancestors and not the gods of the land? What is it? And if you don't have one, be creative. Think of something that you can have in your home that you set up and you every time you see it, or maybe it's something you carry on your person and you set up and every time you see it, it reminds you, you serve the Lord. He alone is God and you're not about worshiping the gods of the land or the gods of our ancestors. Now, uh, let me end it this way. I think the challenge to Israel is not that different than the challenge we face today. You know, maybe we are on offense. Maybe we haven't made God the ultimate priority in our lives. And I think it's important that we look at this and we say, 
just like the Israelites were faced with the decision to fear the Lord, to get rid of the false gods that were in their lives, and to serve Him sincerely, I think we're faced with that same thing. Don't you think it's time? Time that you start taking the Lord more seriously? Time that you start moving away from the distractions of our world and moving more towards Him? And then allowing that to be the filter by which you look at everything else in life? Allowing that to be the filter by which you discern how you practice life? If the Lord is God, then serve Him. If He isn't, then go ahead and serve whatever is in your heart. But if the Lord is in fact God, then serve Him. And whatever you do, whatever you do, stop trying to have the best of both worlds. It just doesn't work. Because a divided heart is a broken heart. A life lived for the Lord is a powerful advertisement for Jesus. It really is. Uh, when, when the world looks at Jesus, by and large, the vast majority appreciate what Jesus was about. I mean, the world is pretty good at trying to quote what Jesus says about things like love and, and attitudes. There's something attractive. It's interesting to note that Jesus did not have social media. And so everywhere he went, where this notion of large, large crowds gathered, uh, they gathered because they were attracted to him, and to his teaching, and what he was able to accomplish in their lives. I, I still think the same is true today. That Jesus attracts people to himself. A life lived for the Lord is a powerful advertisement for Jesus. And a life lived for the Lord is a life that, um, for those of us who claim to be in Jesus, we will live like Jesus lived, according to uh, 1 John 2.6. That's a great advertisement for Jesus. So which are you? Are you faithfully following the Lord? Are you a person who says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? Or are you the person who says, you know what? I'm just, no. Um, I like the gods of the land. And I'm going to serve them. Which are you? Where do you sit? And as a reminder, if we understand this teaching, and as we choose the Lord, as we fear Him, as we get rid of the other gods in our lives, as we serve Him sincerely, we will have a better ability to be able to define our position, we'll have a better ability to be able to understand our purpose, and we'll have a better ability to be able to guide our passions. And in doing so, we will be able to live out this thing called faith in a really contagious, attractive, and calm way. So maybe you're here and you're checking this out and, uh, and you just don't know who Jesus is. Maybe you heard about him, but you don't really know him. You've never made a decision for Jesus in your life. Maybe you've, you've never accepted him as Lord and Savior and received his free gift of salvation. Can I just encourage you to let you know that, that the following after trying to mitigate the insecurities that we have in life will never go away apart from Jesus. Uh, you're going to accomplish something in life and it's just going to feel incomplete, so you're going to try and accomplish something else. But through Jesus, He's already accomplished all of it. And you can have everything you needed in terms of security in life, and most importantly, security in the afterlife, through Him. Or maybe you're 
checking this out and you've grown up in the church, but you don't remember a time or were never told of a time that you accepted Jesus. I want you to consider that there's the possibility that maybe you haven't. And you might be in that category of what people might call the religious lost. You do the things of Christianity, but you're not actually saved. Don't end today without asking Jesus into your heart. Or, Or maybe you're the person who grew up in the church. You're a believer. You say you love Jesus. Your desire is to follow him fully, wholeheartedly. And you're here right now and and you're needing that spiritual checkup on your heart. And just like the Israelites received that decision that they needed to make, choose for yourself this day who you will serve. Maybe that's where you're at. And so my hope and prayer for you is that you will choose for this day who you will serve. You get the world, the gods of this world, the gods of the ancestors, you could say, or you have the Lord. And if the Lord is God, then serve Him. If He's not, then walk away. But I got to tell you, He is. And you already know that He is. So let this be a time of a spiritual checkup for you. Align your heart to His and turn things around that need to be turned around. Follow through on things that Joshua asked Israel to follow through on. Fear the Lord. Get rid of the gods that are in your life. And serve Him sincerely. And I will say that The cool thing that we get to do in all of this is as we align our hearts properly and as we're moving in the direction of the Lord, we get to help those who are far from God come to know life in Christ. And that ultimately is what this is about. This is about helping those far from God come to know life in Christ. So if you don't know Jesus, we want you to know life in Christ. If you know Jesus or you know about Jesus, but you never made a decision for Jesus, we want you to come to know life in Christ. If you know Jesus, you're in a relationship, you've you've received His gift of salvation, but you haven't been living it out, we want you to come to know life in Christ. Because life in Christ fulfills everything that we need fulfilled. And it causes us to have right relationship with the Father, and we'll be able to enjoy eternity with Him forever. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together here. And I pray, Lord, for those people who don't know you, that Jesus, I will just impress upon them the idea that that everything they're searching for, that they're chasing after, Lord, is ultimately going to be able to be found in you. And it'll look different. It might even feel different, but it's found in you. Lord Jesus, for those people who grew up in the church or grew up in the faith and don't remember a time or never were told of a time that they accepted you, then Jesus, I pray that you will help them to accept you today, to truly know what it means to have life in you and not just to do the religious activities. And Jesus, for those people who do profess a faith in you, then Lord, would we be a people that fear you, that get rid of the other gods in our lives and serve you with sincerity. In your holy and precious name I pray, amen.